Alexa, what time is it? The time is 6.27pm. Thank you, and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Well, back live on a Sunday night. The coronavirus hasn't got us yet. No, no, we're we're um, we're all okay. We also haven't stocked up on tons of loo roll though. Whatever the hell that's about. I'm now. Oh yeah, that one's kind of confused me. There was uh, I was back in Sainsbury's this morning and they had restocked, but um, yeah, it all got a bit enthusiastic. I must confess, I did buy two bags of pasta, but I don't think that really makes me a, a prepper, does it? You selfish bastard. Well, there were different kinds. One was twirly and one was tuby. I think you've got to have a. Chirly and a, twirly and a tubey pasta. I guess. Were any of them particular types of? Were they vegan pasta or? Well, I think, oh no, not all pastas vegan. Oh, don't get me started on vegan. Okay, so. sorry. I'll, I'll upset. People. I'm walking you into that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. today. Yeah, we've got a guest. So we have. Uh, <laughs> we have a guest. Yes. We do have a guest, which is brilliant. But only one this week. So we tried three last week. I thought that was, that was, faintly. Rather ambitious. It was an excellent show, but um, yeah, we, we didn't quite keep to time. So this time we've got John Ferret, who is currently the independent councillor for Paulsgrove, um, up until May when John has announced that he is standing down. So uh, we thought it was an ideal opportunity to, to get a, a different voice, neither blue nor yellow. I don't know what colour independents are. Grey. Are they? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not very exciting, is it? Didn't change UK or oh, don't know. Hang on, I can't remember what color change UK used. But anyway, no. It just as a as an independent, it'd be good to hear, especially as someone that's actually standing down. Be really interesting to hear um, John's views on his time on the council as a firstly as a as a Labour councillor and then as an independent in what is fair to say a very partisan council. Mm. So yes, I mean it's not like he's got anything to lose, is it? So it'd be, it'd be good to hear what he's got to say. So. Let's dial him up. Let's 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 dial up. Oh, he says oh. dropping his phone. This is you know it's not the BBC. You can tell, right? No, it's um, right. Okay, so they don't have this on any questions. No, they don't. They they really don't. Um, but this is where lower I'd lower budget, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We have a we have a budget of um, tea. Yeah. Not even biscuits. Just no, it's just tea. It's good tea. Um, so let's 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 line John up. Oh, that's a good start. Yeah, if John doesn't answer, we panic uncontrollably. We don't do panic. Hello, John. Hello, hello. Hello, John. It's it's Simon Sansbury and Ian Morris from the Pompey Politics Podcast. Hiya, John. Hi, Simon. Hi, Ian. Thank you very much for, for agreeing to come on the show. Yep, that's fine. Um, we, um, we've got, we, we did, um, we were open and honest. We gave you, we pinged you a, a list of questions in advance. We didn't want to kind of blindside you. Um, yeah, yeah, I've had a glance through those. Lovely. That's good. Um, we're, not, we're, not here to, we're not here to trip anybody up, but as we were saying before we rang you, it's, it'll be really interesting to hear what your views are as a... Um, as an experienced councillor, someone that's been involved with the council for quite some time, but also um, you've been involved with with local politics in the city for um, for well for a considerable amount of time, really. All right, let go, gentle on the man, so John. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> so John, <laughs> give us a little bit of that history. So, what what first got you interested in politics and and motivated you to want to stand as a councillor? Uh, I. I've been involved in uh, in local politics, as, as you've just said there, for, for a number of years. Uh, I joined the Labour Party back in 1990. Uh, wasn't active uh, initially. Uh, got active around 1995. And that was largely through being involved with trade union, uh, being a trade union activist. Uh, sort of my trade union work uh, led me into activity with the local Labour Party, uh, from there, I, I stood, I think, uh, 13 times before I was elected. So many a time as a paper candidate for a Labour Party, but I was doing my duty as I saw it. Uh, and 
then I was selected for Paulsgrove back in 2012 uh, and, and was elected to the council on that basis. Yeah, and, and to be fair to Simon, he did his research and, and went back and, it, you know, there were a number of wards that you stood in. And I think it, one of the things we found fascinating about looking at that was that, that you know, that the way in which the landscape of Portsmouth has changed over those, you know, sort of 10, 12 years where wards now that we would consider to be, you know, cast iron Labour seats weren't and wards which were well like yourself now in Paulsgrove obviously it's uh I think the other two councillors there are conservatives and uh and uh, yeah that's right yeah yeah I think uh Portsmouth is uh reflecting uh the national politics it's the national politics in microcosm I suppose because yes Paulsgrove had always been a Labour seat uh I think there was a conservative councillor first selected there back in 2003, 2004. Uh, so it, uh, but, but apart from that, it had always been Labour. Uh, but I think uh, I'm the last successful Labour candidate uh, in Paulsgrove. Uh, since then, it's been either UKIP or Conservative councillors mm. that have been elected. And then you can look at seats in the South, St Jude's traditionally, uh, Certainly when I first became active in politics in Portsmouth, a, a Tory seat uh, had always had uh, Tory councillors. Uh, now that looks to, you know, having gone to the Lib Dems, it now looks like it's a solid Labour seat. Yeah, no, and, and again, when we did the local election last year, and I'm sure we'll do something similar, it, it is fascinating and how, you know, some of those wards down in town are, are three-colour um, you know, our three colour marginals in terms of you've got one Conservative, one Labour, one Lib Dem councillor um, that seems to, so that their allegiances tend to tend to switch, which I guess maybe mirrors the national picture. Yeah, I think that's probably what has made politics interesting in Portsmouth for a number of years, the fact that you've had three uh, parties. Uh, there was a time, going back three or four years, we had four parties mm. with a vote being shared out uh, you know, relatively evenly amongst the four of them. Uh, so, yes, it's uh, it, it, it does make local elections night interesting. Uh, I'm not sure whether it necessarily makes running the city uh, better. Uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, having that sort of competition is necessarily conducive to getting things done. Mm, no, I'm sure we're going to ask you some more on that later. So, famously, John, you, you, you were a Labour activist for many years, and then I think it was after the 2016 election um, that you, you you obviously left the party and and um, you know continued to do your work as an independent. Would you can you unpack some of that for us? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, as I said at uh, uh, at the outset, uh, I'd been uh, a Labour member for many years. Uh, twenty six twenty six years. Uh, come twenty sixteen, uh, but clearly the uh, the election of Jeremy Corbyn as leader, uh, you know, it's no great secret that threw the party into turmoil. Mm. Uh, I was vociferous uh, in terms of my opposition against him. Uh, I was working with others uh, in order uh, to try and get someone else to lead the party. Uh, was a backer of uh, Owen Smith. Uh, and fully expected to lose in 2016. Uh, I'd been lined up by people uh, behind the Owen Smith uh, campaign to come out once I'd lost my seat to UKIP uh, and to say that clearly Jeremy Corbyn needed to go because uh, he was doing great damage to the Labour Party. Uh, surprisingly, to my surprise, I won. Uh, I think that night I still came out on the radio and said Jeremy Corbyn had to go because clearly we were losing seats mm. right across the country. Mm. Uh, as we know, subsequent to that, Owen Smith... Uh, didn't succeed. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn was elected, let's say, with an even bigger mandate. Yeah. Uh, and that's when I decided there's no way I could carry on uh, as a Labour Party uh, member because I could not envisage myself knocking on doors asking people to make Jeremy Corbyn Prime Minister uh, and also John McDonnell uh, Chancellor of Exchequer. Uh, that was, to me, something that was uh, I would have found impossible. And quite a brave and principled stance at the time, John, because obviously I think you were the you were the Labour Group leader at the time, um, and 
I, I guess that. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I clearly, I'm Labour Group leader. Uh, I've been the Labour candidate in Portsmouth South in 2010, Labour candidate uh, in Portsmouth North in 2015. Uh, I was chair of the party, probably for our most difficult times, mm. which was the latter, latter days of uh, the last Labour government. Uh, and subsequent to that, I've been constituency secretary. So I had held every post uh, you could name in the Labour Party uh, and also uh, had, had fought elections you know, general elections, local elections, uh, you know, you name it, I've done it. Mm. So, uh, Must be quite a hard was, thing to was, walk away from then. It, it did, although in my heart I could see that the party that I knew uh, had gone, uh, mm. that people had come in. I found Labour Party meetings particularly toxic uh, in that when I stood there talking about the Labour group and the stuff that we were doing, uh, and obviously doing in the best interests of people in the city. Uh, I found myself being harangued. Uh, we had socialist workers' papers being sold in the meetings. You know, these were people that had, uh, some of these people that had fought against Labour candidates in previous elections. So, you know, to me, it, it was clear that the party was just not the party uh, that I'd been a member of uh, and active in for the last 20 years or so. So you set out on that journey as an independent, and and how, you know, last four years you, you've you've been in that position where, you know, you perhaps had a little bit more free reign to 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 move in the way that that, that your principles took you. How, how have you found life as an independent on the council? Uh, well, uh, not not that I was ever or felt constrained by saying what I believed in, uh, and also, uh, you know, making decisions that might not necessarily uh, have been expected uh, by Labour supporters. Uh, for example, uh, it's quite controversial uh, when I voted for Donna Jones to be leader of the council. So I'd, I'd, I'd always try to do what I believe was best mm. uh, for the city first and foremost, but clearly try and ally that to to the principles, uh, uh, the, the Labour principles that that I had. Uh, since I, when I became independent, uh, clearly I was able to carry on saying what I believed in, and also not constrained by a whip, able to support whatever I felt uh, were the best ideas being put forward uh, for the city. Uh, I think I probably voted for uh, budget amendments, uh, maybe not for UKIP, but certainly Lib Dem, Tory and Labour ones. So, you know, if, there, if there's something that I believe uh, is in the best interest of the people of the city uh, and it's not just pure politicking, uh, then I've supported that. So it's freed me to, uh, to act in that, in that way. Uh, I think there is. Uh, I, I think there's a, a call, really, for more independent councillors uh, in Portsmouth. Mm. Uh, I think it's uh, like, like I said, I mean, maybe not just in Portsmouth. I don't think that party politics at a local level uh, is necessarily conducive to getting things done. So that's certainly a journey and something that I've, uh, you know, is, is clearer to me since since I being a member of the Labour Party. And it's interesting because we've, we've looked at, and, and again, we want to explore the role of the independent because, you know, uh, historically when we've looked at it, you know, you've got Jim Fleming, who was a Conservative, who went independent. You had Paul Gautier, who was a UKIP councillor, who then went independent. And I guess currently there's yourself, there's Claire Udy and Jeanette Smith, who are the three independents. But all have been elected on a you know, a, a national party ticket and then gone independent. Do, do you think there is, you know, a, a hope that, you know, an independent could be elected just off the back of being an independent? Or or is the independent always going to have to be somebody that gets elected with a national party badge next to their name? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it's going to be tough because... Uh, you know, there are strong political parties within Portsmouth and uh, they have campaigning machines behind them. Mm. And there's a fair bit of campaigning that's done right across the city. So, and I know, I used to run campaigns for low parties, so I know how much work has to go in uh, to getting someone elected <laughs> and even, you know, 
to not getting elected, you, you still have to put a hell of a lot of work in. Mm. Uh, I was I was sort of up for that a few months ago, uh, recognising it would be a hell of an effort in terms of producing all your own literature, in terms of delivering that, in terms of getting round and knocking on doors. Clearly, I'd like to think that in the eight years in Paulsgrove, you know, uh, people know who I am, uh, and I've tried to do my best for the mm. ward, but notwithstanding that, it'd be a huge effort in terms of campaigning. Uh, you couldn't do it on your own, I think. You need people to help you. That's why I suppose if, if, if there is to be independence, almost that they're going to have to be uh, working together uh, and trying to pull their resources. But I suppose once you do that, you're no longer uh, independent in, in the sense of being a sole independent. You're, you're almost part of the political grouping. And I suppose if you look around the country, you'll see independent groups, residents associations, groups like that. Uh, but I think, you know, being elected on your own is, is, is going to be tough. Uh, but like I say, I was uh, I was relatively optimistic that I'd have a chance, uh, but my personal circumstances have, have uh, led me to to make the decision not to run in May. Yeah, I guess without um, the established party machine behind you, you you'd need to have not. Um, and I'm not saying that you you don't, but in order for an independent to be successful, you'd you'd have to have a hell of a lot of. Um, capability behind them to be able to produce the sort of literature that you need to do. You don't need to have lots of um, personal support for that particular, per, you know, that particular candidate would need to have lots of personal support in order to have people willing to go out and deliver, you know, deliver those leaflets or, or to canvas yeah, on behalf of that person. It's a lot of work. It, it, it is a lot of work uh, in, in local politics. I think if you've got a full-time job mm. and you've got mm. a family, then it is really difficult. And that's why, you know, a, a wider concern I would have about is getting, uh, you know, councillors who are representative of the whole community, because uh, I think it is really difficult if you uh, if you have a full time job uh, to to do the council job as well. I, I try to do it the best of my ability, uh, but as my work commitments have become uh, or have grown as such, mm -hmm. it's been more difficult, and I've come to the realisation that I. You know, if I did stand, I won. I couldn't uh, perform in the same way I have before. No, it's, and it's fascinating because when you look at the whole that dynamic of a local council, and you know, there is a, the, the expectations of our local councillors are very high. You know, the, the, there is the expectation that they're you know they're there for meetings and they're there for the constituents. Um, uh, and you know, it's it's fascinating to me that we, you know. The, the, we we don't we don't even pay them the minimum wage, you know, in terms of uh, for the, probably for the number of hours that they put in. They are one of the probably the lowest paid people in the city at this point. Well, yeah, I mean that's that 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 is the case in terms of support as well. If you look at uh, councillors, well, they have some administrative support on the council. They can't outsource any of their casework that they receive. Uh, I've run a surgery uh, the first Saturday uh, of every month for most of my eight years. I've uh, just stopped it now because clearly I've got casework that I need to resolve. Mm. Uh, but you you have to deal with that work on your own. You know, you, you haven't got an, an MP will have uh, a number of people, a number of caseworkers, an office budget, you know, of 150 grand. Uh, as councillors, you have none of that. So... It's uh, it, it is a lot of work. It's a a commitment, uh, but you know if you if you believe in that and you believe that people need representation uh, and you think you can do the job for them, mm. then uh, then uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm I admire people that do. I admire people that do put themselves for it uh, uh, and and work as councillors. I'm not you know uh, I've observed enough over the years to know that. Not all councillors uh, are, are working as hard as others, uh, but you know most are most are committed to the very, role. Yeah, very few do it for the fame, the glory, and the big money, do they? Yeah, that's true. But like you say, if that's if that's kind of a you think that's um, a barrier to the people actually being elected and and staying well, putting themselves forward, even let alone being elected um, to represent in the council. That's why perhaps they're not as reflective of the societies that they serve you know it, it, i can't imagine how you know if, if if it's difficult to 
to fit the time into campaign, let alone be a, actually be a counsellor with a, with a full time job. How can you know? How can someone bring up young children, or you know, you know, manage to be able to actually fit that into their life? And it it kind of limits the the sorts of people that we have standing. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that that's true. Uh, it's uh, if, for example, you're a single parent uh, and you might well have uh, a, a lot to offer, uh, but it's going to be very difficult for you to to then be able to perform the role. Uh, so. Uh, I, 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 I'm not sure there's a, there's an easy answer to that. Uh, you know, c- councillors uh, and politicians in general uh, are right down on the pecking order, I think, in terms of uh, the popularity charts uh, and people to be trusty despite the work they do. Uh, but so so there's not a in terms of increasing allowances or anything like that i don't think there's uh there's going to be much support for doing that uh so it's it's always going to be an impediment mm. i think it's going to, going to be yeah. a challenge so if we look at the portsmouth city council there john and in terms of you know uh, is there an area which if you had that magic wand and you could fix to, to make pcc become more effective what what would you be you know is there one thing that you think the council or, or the local political scene really needs fixing uh getting back to what i said earlier in terms of uh you know taking out some of the uh some of the politicking the the, the petty party politics from it uh because you are dealing you know, you, you know what the fundamentals are in terms of local politics uh, you get a grant from the government. That grant invariably has been cut back over a number of years, uh, and you've got council services that you've got to provide for mm. uh, from that budget. You know that that's what it is fundamentally, uh, and you know people should be working together uh, in terms of the provision of local services. Uh, and it, you know, I, I found it immensely frustrating that that then became uh, the, the party politics would uh, would take over from doing what was essentially the right thing uh you know if, if i use one example when uh when it was deciding to cut over a million pounds from the short start budget whilst at the same time committing millions of pounds to the pyramids uh you know a subsidy to the pyramids rather than keeping open short start centers that just seemed crazy to me uh but i think both the lib dems and the conservatives uh saw the pyramids as as a vote winner uh particularly in Southsea, uh saw that it was essential in terms of supporting uh that area so it's quite ironic that labor were opposed uh to subsidizing the pyramids uh and now are in power in st jude's ward so it's a great irony there i think well, i guess there must be it, I've, it's I've been it's to um, pyramids for years it, well it it, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because, uh, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned earlier on about some of the politicking and, and the time scale. Is that, I guess, all the, uh, I mean, and, and this kind of speaks to a bit with what we've talked about before about, you know, the, how we need to address the climate emergency, for example, is that some of these things, some of the policies that need to be enacted might well actually be unpopular, because mm. uh, even though they might actually be the right thing to do long term. Um, but is there a danger that, you know, if we're constantly having to seek that, do you think that, you know, our current kind of setup is, is stopping those, those perhaps those brave and initially unpopular decisions being made? Is that the... Yeah, but I think it's, just, it, it, again, it's a facet that you have the parties, you know, uh, who, they're, they're national parties. Mm. And, and, and I fully understand, and I was part of that, that uh, you, you need sort of local workers, the national parties, in order to get your activists for national elections, in order, you know, many, many MPs will come by that route as well. Uh, so I can see, uh, you know, local parties, and that, that they're not going to go away. They're always going to be there. Uh, but I think it's just, you know, adopting a mindset in terms of local uh, politics and the council that, uh, you know, that that isn't Westminster that you're not deciding national policies, no. that your job there is to run the council for the city, uh, provide services, 
and, and and do that as best you can. Uh, and I think too often people almost see it as a mini uh, Westminster Parliament, uh, and, and and that's not conducive to to getting the best outcomes for people. No. But, but like you say, in terms of, you know, there are some, if we, if we take climate change, there are some hard decisions that need mm. to be made. I think I said in a couple of debates down at the council that there's lots of warm words. Uh, motions keep coming forward with lots of warm words and suggestions that are not going to cost much, uh, uh, but, you know, all, are also not going to have much of an impact. Yeah. Uh, you know, the city is going to have to make some hard decisions. Uh, we all know about air quality in the city is really poor. Something needs to be done about that. Uh, it's going to have to be restrictions in terms of cars coming in. Uh, I remember the late Ken Alcombe suggesting a congestion charge for the city, uh, and he was harangued over that and uh, attacked from all sides. But, you know, there was an example of someone making a suggestion uh, that, w- that could make a difference, controversial, uh, but... Clearly, people weren't prepared to support it because of uh, the the political damage that might do to them. Mm. Hmm. No, I think that's a. Uh, that, that, I think. But I'm not under. I'm not under any illusions that if you suggest something like that, that people are going to accept it and go with it. Uh, but if if you could get, you know, the uh, the, the majority of people on the council behind. Uh, something like that without then using it for political advantage uh, then you might start getting things done yeah that that I, I mean I must admit that that seems to be the other thing is that there's almost a you, you almost need a, a an agreement between campaigning parties to say okay look if we if we agree together that this the x is the right thing to do for the city then we also agree not to attack each other for it because mm. otherwise no one's ever going to have enough cover to be able to to be able to do the difficult things for the for the city, and we end yeah. we end up with kind of half half hearted kind of over compromised decisions, well, and and that's not you know we we need we need bigger solutions than that, and you know and a, and the climate issue is a, is probably the best example, isn't it? Well, I think there's several, and again, it, it, but if you look at that at a national level, you know, adult social care and the provision for you know, we've got an aging population and less people. There are some really big national issues, which, you know, and again, I'd, I'd table the NHS, which at a national level we're not prepared to have a grown-up discussion about because it is, you know, it's politically toxic to to, to try and tackle those big issues. Um, and I guess we see that played out at, at, at local level. Like you say, the climate change probably being the one that the council has most chance of influencing but you know there are i don't think there are any if there were easy answers we would have done them by now well yeah that's that's <laughs> that that's the other thing isn't it so I, I guess having said how difficult it is to work you know to have um to have worked in such a partisan environment as the as the council is what you know you've you've represented paul's grove for you know for eight eight years what what would you say are your proudest moments of being their councillor I think the proudest is uh, being accepted uh, in the ward uh, because I didn't live in Paulsgrove. Uh, I've always lived uh, on the island uh, and uh, Paulsgrove is, uh, you know, has its own culture. It's uh, probably, you know, it's it's the most, uh, uh, in terms of community, if you, you went to a lot of the other wards, you wouldn't necessarily say there was, uh, you know, a, a, a clear identifiable Lamport community or St. Jude's community, mm. you go to Paul's Grove uh, and there is a sense of yeah. uh, sense of community there uh, and uh, that could be construed as insularity, I think it is uh, uh, I, I was always told uh, that they would uh, it would be difficult for someone who wasn't from Paul's Grove to be a councillor and to be elected so I knew it was a challenge uh, and I sort of took that head on if you like, made sure that I attended all the residence groups, and I've been consistent in that. There were three residence groups when I was elected. Uh, I ensured that I was at them straight from the outset and every month. I had my surgery so that it was accessible to people and did have a lot of door knocking as well uh, to get round and talk to people. Uh, governor at the local school uh, for a number of years. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that... Uh, I believe I was accepted. 
uh, had some kind words from the residents uh, uh, when I've announced I'm going to stand down. Uh, so, so that's something I am proud of. No, and I think that, you know, again, that that being part of the community you work for, it, it, you know, I guess that demonstrates you don't necessarily have to have been born into a community to to start to understand the fabric of it and the, you know, what what's important to the residents in that area. No, uh, you know, Paulsgrove, uh, Paulsgrove is a is a it's, is a ward with uh, you know there's there's huge differences if you look at Port Solent, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, where people's uh, you know a lot of people have berths and will have yachts and boats and you know living in quite expensive housing, uh, and then just across the A27, the Paulsgrove Estate, mm. uh, where there are a lot of uh, there's, there's a lot of social issues there. There's a lot of poverty, uh, and you know, big differences. Uh, so that, that that in itself makes it a challenge in order to to represent those those different different communities and people in different different circumstances. Yeah, it's prob- probably the most diverse ward in the city, I would think, in terms of you know, if you if you compare, you know, the. The, the Paulsgrove Estate and the Port Solent Marina. That's uh, that's a that's a fairly significant wealth divide, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably is. I would have thought. Uh, you know, there's like 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 I say that, and, and I'm not under understating the concerns that the the residents of Port Solent have. I'm been a regular attendee at their meetings, uh, and I've got to not know lots of people at Port Solent. Uh, but clearly, you, you you don't have the same issues there that you have on the estate uh, in terms of you know people facing eviction uh, and people in some people in living in real poverty mm. uh, and invariably the cases that I dealt with my surgery were around uh, benefits uh, around housing issues uh, lots of overcrowding uh, in, and, and young families. Uh, who really need to move to larger properties and they're not available. Mm. So, yeah, a, a real difference between those two parts of the ward. With those sorts of things in mind, like you say, for the you know for the for the large part of the ward that you know that isn't isn't Port Solent, you I must admit you kind of expect those to be bread and butter um, issues for um, you know for the, for the Labour Party to do very well in addressing because it you know um, is have you got any thoughts as to why the you know the conservatives have have managed to get two councillors in 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 a ward in 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 Paulsgrove in a ward like Paulsgrove yeah i mean it's so it it wasn't the conservatives who uh, who initially sort of let's say ended labor's dom- dominance it was ukip mm. uh so clearly ukip back in 20, 2014 mm. uh had a councillor elected there uh, I think Brexit has has played a part. Uh, I can recall doing some sampling when I, when the Brexit camp was being done, uh, and looking at one of the one of the polling districts in Paulsgrove. Uh, I think pro- probably one of the poorest areas, where ninety five percent of people were voting yes for Brexit. Mm. So, you know, I think Brexit has been an issue, and the Tories have been able to to take advantage of that but i think paul's Grove probably reflects what has happened what we've seen happen in the recent general election you know the so-called red wall and those seats that had always been labor mm. uh that have gone conservative i think people in paul's Grove, uh i know that from knocking on doors and talking to people and talking to people at residence meeting uh were not happy themselves with the leader of the labor party uh so i think you know, Brexit, Jeremy Corbyn uh, have, have contributed to, uh, to to Labour no longer being guaranteed those sort of seats. No, absolutely. No, and again, it's a question we're gonna we were gonna throw out to you is that you know um, we'll let you into a little secret. I I'm not a fan of Jeremy Corbyn. Um, no, 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 not not at no. all. Um, so right. you know, um, if you look at the, you know, the Labour Party's probably had it tough for the last five years, and that election, you know, the last election defeat was was very heavy. Um, 
you know, what what do you see as the way forward for the Labour Party? And and you know, if you were still in the camp and had to elect the next leader, do you see any of the three candidates as you know having the chance to pull the party back together again? No, I think it's uh, I think it's a long road. Uh, when when Thatcher was elected in 1979, what was it, 18 years before we had a Labour government? Mm. Uh, someone like Neil Kinnock had to do a hell of a lot of work in terms of dealing with a hard left then during the early 80s. Mm. Uh, and I think whoever uh, becomes leader of the Labour Party is going to have a similar challenge. Uh, I don't think any of the three candidates now are likely to be uh, a Labour Prime Minister. I think it's at least two terms uh, that Labour are facing in the wilderness. If not longer, uh, it certainly will be longer if they don't deal with the hard left, uh, mm. uh, because there is no way that Labour Party is going to be electable uh, with the hard left in control and standing on the sort of policies that it was, uh, you know, in the in, in the recent general election. Uh, so, yep, some, you know, I I note that all three candidates uh, are talking about continuing. Uh, with the policies that, that Labour had, uh, and all three have been uh, trashing to, you know, some greater degree or other, the record of the previous Labour government. Uh, so that doesn't fill me with optimism uh, about those candidates. Well, I if, if I if I if I was a member of Labour Party and uh, and I was looking at who should lead it, I probably would have gone for Jess Phillips. You know, she's not. Someone who was prepared to, you know, speak some hard truths to the member members of the Labour Party, but of course, if you do that, they're not going to vote for you. Well, so I think that's, I think that's Labour's problem. But, uh, it's uh, it's it's activist driven. Uh, it's the views of the members appear to be more important than what's needed for the people of the country. Well, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, uh, again, you know, almost the Labour Party seems to have got to a point where, um, and look, I, I'm placing my cards on the table as a Conservative, but, you know, I see somebody like Rebecca Long-Bailey, who is, who is almost, it's, it's more important to be ideologically pure and unelectable than it is to compromise and find a and find a space on the left of politics that the you know the British electorate will buy into. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think Rebecca Long Bailey uh, is clearly, well, clearly the confidently Corbyn candidate and has been put forward by Momentum uh, and other Jeremy Corbyn yep. uh, supporters. Uh, I don't think there's uh, in, in terms of uh, you know her views in terms of what she really believes in. I'm not sure that's really being expressed. Uh, I, I, I think she's clearly the weakest of the three candidates. Uh, it would be an absolute disaster for the country. It's not going to happen. I don't think there's a uh, chance in hell that she's ever going to be uh, leader of the country. Uh, it'll be a disaster for the Labour Party, clearly, if, she was, uh, if she's chosen. Yeah, and that, but that's where I wonder, John, whether there are certain, like you said, it was act, being activist-driven. You know, it almost strikes me that that there are is a, there is a significant, and and I think we've seen it borne out a little bit in American politics. There are, you know, uh, uh, parallels between Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn, and I, I you know I've read a lot where the the Sanders supporters have basically said, well, if it's not Sanders, then I'm not going to vote for the Democrats, which is almost like well. We we either got to have, you know, a hard left candidate, you know, or or the, you know, the right candidate can can win it. We we almost we almost don't want to win if we can't have the 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 left wing candidate we want. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's how polarized things are, aren't mm. they? On both sides uh, on both sides of the Atlantic, which was a great frustration for me that uh, a centrist party. Uh, wasn't able to emerge from that. Uh, I spent my, or spent the last four years, hoping that something would uh, uh, would come together. Uh, I initially uh, supported what was called the Renew Party.
party uh, mm. that crashed and burned very quickly, and then Change UK I thought might uh, might be able to provide a platform. Uh, I, I think it would have been necessary for the for the Lib Dems to to merge with that, uh, but it just hasn't happened. You know uh, what we're seeing is a polarisation here, just as you described in America, and you you do get people making bizarre statements such as uh, the one you've just said. Uh, and I saw someone who who was interviewed and said, well, if uh, Joe Biden's a candidate, are you still going to vote Democrat? And he said no. So even knowing really? that, that would put Donald Trump in office. So <laughs> these, are, these are very polarised times. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd hope that there would be enough support for a centre party, a new party, uh, to, to, to fill the vacuum uh but i don't know i don't think that there, there is enough people you know labor still have that that name association the branding mm. uh i think it's going to need people in the labor party uh to to pull away and uh, and say no the labor party you know that's something that i've done but i think people need to uh need to recognize that the labor party is uh is just not viable in its current form so i, I guess It'll be interesting to see what happens next, depending on who is selected as Labour Party leader. Then, isn't it really? That's the that's the kind of litmus test as to as to whether it that. It is, and, and, and if that leader then takes on the uh, the hard left, uh, then you know the hard left are in control of many of the leaders of the mm. party now. Uh, then that's going to be years of internecine war and struggle uh, when. They should be holding the government to account and should mm. be looking to, you know, to present themselves as a party of government. So that's my fear. Uh, whoever takes over Labour Party, we are going to see uh, more infighting uh, and less focus on what needs to be done uh, to try and win power. It's a, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Is it? Do you think it's part of our, how our electoral system works in the sense of? You know, as in first oh, past the post, rather than certainly first past the post is clearly uh, not fit for purpose. Uh, and I've long been a leader in uh, proportional representation, uh, and, and even more so now. Uh, it, it is absurd that that the Scottish National Party can get 50 seats on two percent of the vote, mm -hmm. and uh, the Liberal Democrats. Uh, get 12 seats by winning, what was it, 10% of the vote. So, yeah. you know, it's, 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 a, it's a bizarre system. Yeah, uh, I think the challenge it, always was... It, 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 it was framed around two-party politics when there are more than two parties. It's just not fit for purpose. Hmm. Uh, I think the fascinating thing always with the PR debate is that the government of the day wins the election based on first-past-the-post. So their appetite then to look at um, proportional representation is uh, is is probably yeah. probably reasonably low at that point. So, so looking ahead, yeah. John, life after local councillors, what what have you what have you got planned? Well, I like to say I'm I'm, I'm always going to be interested in politics. Mm. Uh, I uh, my work commitments are, are, are greater than ever. So uh, that's really stops me from being involved in the way that happened in the past uh, but I'd like to see uh, I'd, I'd still like to see a new party emerge uh, I'm willing to work with anyone uh, who's working towards that particular aim I'll support it uh, if uh, if it does emerge I, I, unfortunately I think the, the opportunity was missed uh, that opportunity was when Jeremy Corbyn uh, was first elected leader, uh, and I think the PLP then should have set themselves up uh, as an independent grouping, the 171 who, you know, expressed no confidence and didn't mm. support. And I think that was the time to try and do it. So uh, as much as I might hope uh, that we get a new uh, centre party, uh, I, I fear it might not happen. I'll remain a uh, uh, an observer of what's going on locally, Uh and what's going on nationally, uh, but I can't envisage myself uh, getting back into it uh, in a way that I was involved before. Uh, I think you only have so much, uh, 
so much energy uh, and so much time for something like that. I gave sort of 20-odd years or mm. have given over 20-odd years as an activist. Uh, certainly when I was in the late party, I was meeting meetings two or three times a week in the evenings and out every weekend. Uh, I, I, I just can't see myself going back to that. No, I don't think anybody could uh, could argue that you haven't done your your, your uh, you've certainly shift. done your time your, is it? your shift for the people yeah. of Paul's goes yeah. <laughs> we, we, we had a we had a couple of messages sent through uh, Donna Jones got on touch on our Facebook page and said what a um, what a fantastic counsellor you had been and um, I got contacted by Scott Pater Harris who again you know was very very you know complimentary of the work that you had done and um, you know wanted to wish you all the best but he, he also asked me if I could ask you a question which has, has bothered him for some time which is do you wear a wig yeah, I thought that might. I, I knew what? that would be coming. What? I knew that would be. Yeah, that's uh, that's that, that's that's a bit of a joke between me and okay. uh, me and Peter Harris. Uh, no, I don't. Someone mocked up uh, uh, a picture of me stood down at the uh, at the dockyard uh, with Donald Trump's hair on. So, and that was doing the rounds as a meme a few years ago, uh, but. You know, talking in good heart. No, I certainly don't. I'm very proud of my full head of hair. Uh, if only Mr. Peter Harris could wish for the same. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> the he's the man that puts the pate into Peter Harris. Yeah. Is this why he keeps wearing caps all the time? It could be. Okay, could be. Well, I, uh, well, that was a that blindsided me. I didn't. Well done. That's. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that was coming. Um, well. Thank you very much, John. It's been it's been really lovely speaking to you, and um, it you know you, you've demonstrated that it takes hours and hours and years and years of hard work in order to be able to represent people, um, and then to to spend lots of lots of time actually doing it well. Um, but um, you know, I, I do think that you know the the political scene in, in Portsmouth and the and the residents in Portsgrove are going to be. Um, Poor or without are going to be poor without you without you around to, to um to contribute. Well, thanks thanks very very much for that. Appreciate uh, appreciate that. And uh, like I say, I wish uh, I wish all those on the council uh, the best of luck uh, going forward. Uh, and thanks for the uh, thanks for the interview tonight, and thanks for what you're doing as well in terms of uh, you know interest in local politics uh, and covering it because you know. There is a, there is a fear uh, that I have that with local press in the in the way it's diminishing that you know there's so little focus on the local council and what mm -hmm. the focus there is is invariably attacking it. Uh, there needs to be uh, more objective reporting on what people are doing. Uh, so it's good that you guys are doing this and uh, long may it continue. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. You take okay. Thanks for giving us your, your Sunday evening. Cheers, John. Thanks, John. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Well, there we go. That what, was what a smashing chat. Yeah, yeah. lovely guy. We've got to get a wrong one at some point soon, haven't we? We, 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 we? This is it. We keep we keep defying what seems to be the expectation on on Facebook. Yeah, that you know we'll 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 encounter people that you know will be you know well, this is baying not... baying with with aggression and and confrontation, and we we we've yet to find that what we are finding consistently. And I'm sorry, this sounds a bit like a demonstrated kind of loving but what we do keep finding is that okay there are people that disagree on what needs doing or how to do it but the motivation and the personal drive that all of those people bring is about is comes from a place of wanting to bet to make a better a better Portsmouth and a better world for you know for, for the people around them so it's Oh, I don't know. Maybe we can remember that next time we get into a spat on Facebook. Yeah, you wouldn't find me getting into a spat on Facebook. Oh no! Oh, Bless blessed, blessed other peacemakers, Simon. <laughs> so, so, so it's my role simply to to step in and invite everybody to calm down. So it's a. Uh, Are you sure that someone else hasn't hacked your Facebook um, account? Then it's not, um, not, I, my, not my place to say. I, I will just say that it seems that some people are having technical difficulties getting into the getting into the live stream. I don't quite know oh. what's causing that. I do apologise. We have got some people that have that are actually um, following the live stream. So I, I don't know why 
what the issue there, whether I've got low connection issues here that are even more rubbish than they normally are. Um, but I do apologise. Um, the podcast will be uploaded in the next couple of hours this evening anyway. Perfect. And looking ahead, um, we've got more guests. Yeah. We've got a, a run of guests. So next week, it's uh, going to be we're going to do a series called uh, Meet the Newbies, yep. which is going to be some people who are standing for election who we may not have heard from before. So yep. next week... First-time candidates. First-time candidates. Next week, we've got Kirsty Meller from the Labour Party, who is looking to take over from uh, from Stephen Morgan as the councillor for Charles Dickens Ward. We've then got a week where we're not quite sure what we're doing because my work commitment's getting in the way. Then we've got Charles Douglas, uh, who is a young Conservative, who I believe will be standing in Central South Sea. And then we have got Kimberly, Kimberly Barrett, yes. Barrett from the Lib Dems yes. and of Keep Milton Green fame, who's going to be joining us the week before Easter. So yes. if you've got questions that you'd like us to pose, uh, obviously we are, we are considering getting the pot of pondering out of retirement and uh, polishing it up, ready for the... Uh, I'll have to dust it. We'll do it. Yeah, yeah, and we might have to refresh the questions because they were all a bit Brexity. But if you want your question in there, email us at pompeypoliticspodcast at gmail dot com or leave a message on our Facebook page, and we would love to provide. It's not a rude question, obviously. We'd love to throw that into the pot. Yes, please do. Send us your questions. Marvelous. We can put them onto an impossible to open piece of post-it note, and yeah, yeah we might have to. Have <laughs> we might have to work around the engineering on that a bit. Uh, absolutely. Okay, so um, we're at fifty-three minutes. I think we've. Um, You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I am eternally Ian Tiny Morris, and I am obviously until I'm not Simon Sansbury. Simon Sansbury, because absolutely. at some point I'm going to expire, but. No, no, but not yet. not during the recording. No, this is superb. <laughs> Thanks, folks. And you got through it with all that rosé in your system. <laughs>